Gentle listener, would you like clear vision in 2024? Registration is now open to a group course of that name. We will begin in mid-January. Clear Vision is an eight-week group course designed to support you in examining how you'd like to experience life in the future, building that vision, and then putting the actions in place to get there, while also clearing any limitations getting in the way. You will do this in the company of a small group of women who are also doing this work. And you will be supported throughout by coaching from me. Clear vision is the ability to envision a future that is decoupled from conditioning and shoulds, that honours possibility, your values, your dreams and desires. Look for the link in the show notes. And now on to the show. The rules we grew up with were never meant for us. It's time for a change. Welcome to Becoming Wild. This podcast will support you in untethering from conditioning, examining limiting beliefs around womanhood and value, and tapping into your innate power. Because when women embody our truest, wildest selves, we change much more than our own lives. We change the world. I'm your host, Emma Wittard. Welcome to episode 18 of Becoming Wild. I'm your host, Emma Wittard, and I'm coming to you today from my home in Pasadena, California. This is our final episode in season one. Thank you so much for listening. I've loved putting this podcast together far more than I could ever have imagined. And I so appreciate you taking the time to listen. I hope it's been helpful to you. If you would like a season two, then please rate and review the podcast or drop me an email at info at and tell me what you like about it. I created this podcast to showcase my six-month coaching program, Becoming Wild, and also to offer a free way for people to receive some coaching that could be helpful to them. I haven't decided whether a season two will happen or not. I don't know whether it's necessary, so your comments will make all the difference. I do have another six-month one-to-one coaching program that follows on from Becoming Wild. It's called Becoming Wilder, funnily enough. In it, we take the wildness to the next level and cover intuition, relationships, power, love, and sex. So if you'd like to hear from me on these subjects, then please do let me know. This is the last of three episodes that are focused on the wild self, the part of ourselves that is purely, authentically us, without all of the conditioning we receive from society. Over the last six months, I've interviewed five people I felt really embodied the idea of the wild woman. And I decided that for the final interview, I should probably include myself. My awesome sister, Laura, did the honours and interviewed me. So much of this is about the story of my life, and she's been there for all of it. So who better to help me tell my wild history? And she is definitely a wild woman herself. 
For the interview, she's at my parents' house in the Cotswolds in England with her six-year-old twins. So you're going to hear some background noise and some interruptions. But it all goes to illustrate work-life integration, in my opinion. So I hope you can roll with it. I'm not going to answer a listener question today. I think you will have heard quite enough from me by the end of this episode. So we're just going to dive right on in. Thank you again for listening. Your being here matters a great deal to me. And now on with the show. Laura Wittard has been teaching acting, voice and singing to children and adults for over 20 years and currently teaches at the Cheltenham Ladies College. She's a graduate of the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, and her performing career includes multiple West End musicals, working with industry professionals such as Trevor Nunn and Andrew Lloyd Webber. She was also fortunate enough to work on the classics, from Oscar Wilde to Shakespeare. She believes passionately in the power of self-expression and the arts, to hold a mirror up to nature and help us to reflect on our society and the choices we make. When not teaching, she enjoys writing and travel. She lives in Cheltenham, England with her partner and her twins who are educated in the self-directed learning community. She is also my sister, (laughs) Laura Wittard. Welcome to Becoming Wild. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for inviting me, sister. I'm very excited. Me too. No, it's late for you. It's five o'clock for you, isn't it? And I know that you're at our parents' house. I wish I was there with all the family. But anyway. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let you take over, Laura Wittard. Excellent. Okay. And now on to our guest. Emma Wittard is a transformational coach, community host and podcaster who focuses on empowering women. Prior to becoming a full-time coach, she had a 20-year career in children's books, including running businesses for Disney, DreamWorks and Warner Brothers, as well as her own intellectual property development business. She coaches women by looking holistically at their lives, mental, emotional, physical and spiritual, and working with them towards fulfilment and balance by shedding the limiting stories that they have inherited to become their authentic selves. She lives the life of her dreams in Southern California with her daughter, dog and two cats. And when not coaching, can often be found hiking up a mountain. Emma Wittard, welcome to Becoming Wild. (laughs) Thank you, you, Lolly. It's very cool to be introduced on my own show, I have to say. Thank you, darling. My pleasure. So how are you feeling today? I know I should interview you, but hey. No, no, it's good. I'm feeling good. My partner's got the Twinkies next door and they're with Nana and Can Can. They've got Lego in front of them and pictures to keep them occupied while I'm in and chatting to you. And I'm enjoying the term. As you know, I, I do lots of work with adults and children from voice work to acting and it always keeps me really busy and a little bit of writing on the side. So I'm good. How are you? Good. I am very well. I'm sitting here in my living room. It's sunny. Poppy Coco the cat is asleep on the couch. Nova the dog is asleep on the floor. Jasmine's in her bedroom doing goodness knows what. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hopefully 
well, she's she's probably watching YouTube. Let's face it. Yeah, all is good, and I'm talking to you, which is lovely. Okay, I have a question for you, Emma. Yes, and this is a question that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Can you give me your definition of being wild? Hmm. Yes. Yes. I guess being wild is a state that we never really 100% achieve. So the idea of this is that we're all born with certain societal expectations. So our parents have been brought up in a certain way. Our parents' parents brought them up in a certain way. And when we're kids, our parents tend to bring us up in a way that conforms with societal expectations. So they bring us up to behave in a certain way and to aspire to certain things. So most families would want their kids to do well at school and they would actually send them to school and they would consider doing well to include things like getting good grades and working really hard and to go on to live a relatively traditional life of buying a house and getting a job and getting married and having kids. These are sort of societal assumptions that we all have that these are good things. Yeah. Women and girls are often brought up with certain messaging around how they should behave yeah helping others not making a big fuss about things yes um, you know um looking pretty uh, and they'll be praised on these things and quite often it's unconscious oh don't you look lovely today darling rather than oh what are you doing today darling what are you thinking about yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah so the idea is that 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 is the tameness and nobody does it on purpose. It's just, it's like the dream of society. Mm. There's a really great book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And he talks about the dream of society. Mm-hmm. And this idea that we're all working under all these expectations and assumptions. Mm. And becoming wild is really the process of, of starting to question those assumptions. To be, quote unquote, successful do I really have to work really hard? Mm. And what is working really hard? And what is work? And what is success? Mm. You know, so beginning to question all of the assumptions that we make around how we should, and that's another one, do life. That is the process of becoming wild. And wildness is not being fettered by these assumptions anymore thinking to ourselves, oh, I need to behave this certain way. But do I? Do I actually need to behave like that? Who says? Mm -hmm. Um, So wildness is really living life on your own terms. That's that's ultimately, I guess that's probably the simplest definition. Wildness is living life on your, truly on your own terms and understanding where you are not using your own terms. And that's the life I live and the work I do. So this podcast is about becoming wild and it's about deconditioning from the stories we're given as kids to become your free, authentic self. 
So can you now tell me how that process unfolded for you in your life? So can you tell us about your wild history? Thank you, Laura. That's a great question. I wonder where it came from. Okay, where to start with this? So we grew up in a relatively traditional arrangement, right? We have a mother and a father. Let's yeah. bless them. Oh, yeah. After 58 years, they're still wow. together. Um, dad worked. Yeah. Mum stayed at home and looked after us. Yeah. Um, I'm one of three, you and our brother. Yeah. And from my point of view, at least, we had a pretty traditional, pretty idyllic childhood. I'm the oldest. Yeah. And I realized that I was given the gifts of self-esteem. So mum and dad gave me the gifts of self-esteem. So although we were brought up in this traditional environment, I got the messaging from dad that I would re be rewarded for working really hard academically um, and achieving academically. And it's interesting thinking back, I, I loved mum and dad, but I wanted to be like dad. So my wiring had me wanting to be like dad, which meant I wanted to be in control. I wanted to be in charge yeah. and I wanted to be the boss. <laughs> um, yeah. And that actually has served me well for most of my life. We also grew up in an environment of, we were teenagers in the 80s. So it was all the Gen X messaging around success. And I, I remember Dynasty. I wanted to be like Joan Collins. I wanted to be like Alexis. I mean, I didn't like her as a person, but I wanted to be the boss. Yeah, and the shoulder pads and the high oh, heels. Yeah. And the, it was all about, you know, women going, we can be powerful, but within a very restricted framework. Yes, exactly. Back then, a very restricted um, yeah. framework. Working yeah. girl. You know, there were some wonder woman there were some mm. models of female empowerment thank you to all the wonderful feminists who worked to get us at least some of the way there I felt I was very lucky I I felt loved and approved of yeah. by mum and dad and I think that gave me a lot also dad is a non-believer so even though we were brought up going to church we went to the local Church of England church in our village we went to Catholic school we weren't Catholic but we went to Catholic school we had dad at home who was a non-believer so we were always given this choice I always felt even though I chose at the time to believe in what I call now Santa Claus God the patriarchal male god with a big white beard we imagine sitting in the sky at the time I chose to believe that but I always knew there was another way yeah so that was really helpful and I think has helped me a lot growing up and going to Catholic school yes I got all the messaging around good and bad and women being the cause of original sin and all of that fun stuff that we then have to decondition from but I was also given 
the example of women living independently because our school was run by nuns. Yeah. And I remember the first year that I went to the convent, our headmistress, she was only there for like the first month. And then she said, I'm going on a mission to Africa. I'll be back in two years. I'm putting Sister Bernadette in charge. So I was also given this model of you have one job, but it's okay to go and do another job that's purpose-driven and women running the show. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a, a very much a female environment. We, it really we was, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was an all-girls all school and it was run by women. Yeah. And they were women not to be messed with. Oh, definitely. Sister Josepha. Yes. Sister Josepha. Yes. You'd see, right, you got to see your prayers. You know, she was frightening. She used to scare me in French. I but was terrified of yeah. <laughs> until she became my teacher and then in the fourth and fifth year, and then I adored her. Oh. Um, Sister Jo, if you're still out there, love you. She was amazing. Mm. They were all amazing. And I, and I feel incredibly lucky to have had that background. I remember going to where the nuns lived and seeing how they lived and, and actually feeling quite envious and thinking, oh my God, mm. they get to hang out together in this sisterhood. Mm. Even back then, yeah. I, I was a feminist. Yeah. I was always a feminist. I think I was too, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, we've both grown up in a, to be independent and to earn our own money and chart our own course. And I don't think that's a coincidence. No, I mean, I think, you know, watching Benny Hill on a Saturday night where there's yeah. scantily clad women with big bosoms and running Benny around. Hill running around. And I remember looking at Dad and saying, Dad, where are the good-looking men? Yeah. And I must have only been about nine. It really, yeah. really annoyed me. Yes. And I've always felt like that, you know, where basically when I used to watch TV, I used to go, well, where are all the women? Why are we watching a film with one woman in and yes. like 50 men? And it yes. used to do my head in. So I think that, that alone was enough to turn me into feminist. Yeah, I remember feeling outraged quite a lot of my childhood. And you know, yeah, it was what's on TV. It was the fact that even even cartoons with cute animals, they were men. Like, well, you know, this creature would be really cute if it had a girl's voice, but it has a boy's voice. I don't get it. I just didn't understand. I remember thinking, like you, I was like, but what? what? But what? But, you know, we didn't know words like patriarchy back then. Nowadays, I say to Jasmine, look at look at the number of male voices to female voices in this show who do you think wrote and directed this show and she'll go oh this is totally totally a guy and we'll look at the credits and we'll go yeah okay so now we we see the source of it and I guess it. I mean you write about what you know and men literally weren't thinking about women when they were doing these things even though we're half of the population and I get it but I'm very glad that that's changing. Anyway, where were we? We were we were like teens. The wild history, yeah. Wild history. Uh, yeah, so I was a good girl. 
So you I were you were a very, very good girl and occasionally yeah. you would rebel, but it would be very occasional in a very quiet way. Well, I was quite okay. a sneaky rebel because yeah. I was a good girl, but my best friend was always the naughtiest girl in always I would live vicariously through the naughty girls I would generally be the lookout they'd be like smoking in the loose or something yeah. like that. and I yeah. wouldn't smoke but I would watch yeah yeah definitely like, get the thrill of potentially getting caught we did smuggle some boys into school in the fifth year as well um boys from from the local grammar school who were a bit older and we would keep them in the girls' fifth-year cloakrooms under coats and go in and feed them at break times. like So that was cool. But, yeah, I was generally teacher's pet. I was generally a good girl. I did well at school, and I got all the praise for that. Yeah, I think school was, for you, I, I think seemed to remember you said, you know, you really enjoyed school and you felt you, you loved it, really, which was... I at did. Least, well, at least one of us did. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I know that we were not having the same experience. I'd like no. to acknowledge that. we were. You and I were having a very different experience. Yeah. Yeah, I was Hermione Granger. But then I took a year. So things started to change when I took a year off between school and college and I went to be an au pair in the French Alps. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Kristen. Kristen, and I know Kristen listens to this. Love you, Kristen. One of my best, best friends in the whole world. She's a huge extrovert, and she is a wild woman. And oh, I was, yeah. Kristen has probably always been wild. And she taught me how to party. <laughs> so she and I had a great time together. And then she came back to England with us and I remember she used to question things yeah and I was like at the time I was like what what do you mean watch us play chess I'm talking to Emma Pebbles on the phone I'll come in in a minute okay okay close the door my darling so, that was my little Renaroo that was your that. wild daughter yeah in- my my wild daughter bless yeah, her yeah she's pretty wild yeah She's going to be a great wild woman. Yeah. Anyway, Kristen. Kristen was definitely part of my wild awakening. And she questioned things. She was Canadian, not English. So she had a different perspective um, on things. And so that was really helpful. Then I went to college and met a friend called Matthew. Matthew, if you're out there, thank you, who taught me how to do well in exams without studying. <laughs> yeah. So that was really helpful. And again, he was he was from London. He was Jewish. I'm sure he still is from London and is still Jewish. He's still out there somewhere. He went on to have an extremely traditionally successful career, but he was really rebellious when I knew him. And he, again, he was really naughty. He taught me to, to question things. So I started to get the this new input. Oh, seeing Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a really big thing. Yeah, I remember it was an it was an incredible moment, and yeah, and I still have it in my playlist. I mean, it it it, it was a defining moment for us both. Ferris Bueller's yeah. Day Off. Yeah, it's like film. oh my gosh, yeah, you can 
you can cheat the system and still be adorable. Apparently you can. And loved. Um, And loved, not risk your sense of belonging and, and cheat the system. So, so these things, it sounds crazy, but I guess as I'm talking now, these all added up. I mean, I'm sure there were lots more as well, but these things added up to help me to, to understand that things didn't have to be how they seemed. After college, I kind of regressed. <laughs> I was quite feisty after college. I always had quite a lot of drive. I went I went straight into publishing. Well, mum eventually managed to get me out of the house. I remember her having a conversation with me at some point and saying, Emma, we are you you can't stay living here. You are actually going to have to get a job at some point. Aww. Which I was slightly outraged by at the time. Um but she was a brilliant help in in helping me to get a job. She said don't wait around and just apply for things you need to write to people actively. And she said, okay, you want to be in book publishing? Because my major was um, English and European literature and I loved books. She said, okay, we got the writers and artists handbook. And I wrote to every publisher that I liked the sound of in England and said, I'd like a job. And I got two interviews and I was offered both jobs. Um, so thank you to mum for that. And that's still advice that I give people to this day. Just go out and, and and ask for the thing. So I moved to London on my own. I guess I was about 23, 24, something like that. Didn't have a penny to my name. Took out an overdraft to live on until I was paid. So I lived the first month on overdraft and then I slowly paid that back over the first year. I think I was paid £9,000 a year. So it was, you know, it was tough going. There were lots of noodles and things, (laughs) lots of pasta. Yeah. First year, I lived in a tiny little flat share room in Hampstead in London. But I was independent, which I loved. I started working in publishing at the really bottom of the ladder, as an assistant in the rights department. So what we did was we sold the rights of books. So books that were published in English, we sold them, we did deals for other languages. So eventually this took me all over the world. I stayed in that business for for about 10 years and I traveled all over the world doing it. And that gave me amazing perspective of how other people live and how much more traditional things were in certain countries. I had to learn to negotiate with extremely chauvinistic men. You used to say you were the velvet glove. Oh, there was a no, there was, velvet there, fist. The velvet hammer, yes. That was it, the velvet hammer. Can you explain the velvet? Because I I was always very impressed by this. Uh, Yeah, so in 2001, I I moved to Disney. I left traditional book publishing and I went to work on publishing businesses for Disney. So where a Disney movie was made, we would then sell the book rights to, to different publishers around the world. 
was a really interesting environment to work in. Disney was, although a creative company, a very corporate environment. I was working in London for a really big corporate business. Um, I was lucky at that time there were a lot of women in senior management, which was great. So I didn't have a lot of the issues that people have internally around not being treated the same as the men. Um, So I was really lucky in that way. And I got promoted and did well, quote unquote, did well. But yeah, a lot of the countries I worked with were more patriarchal than the UK. So I was negotiating with a lot of men. And because I worked for Disney, I was usually in the position of power. So, and the funny thing is, and I was the boss and I was, for a long time, I was the boss of the, of the publishing businesses I ran at Disney. So often I would be in a situation where I would go into a meeting room and it would be a room full of men. And if they hadn't met me before, when I walked in, they would assume that I was the assistant. Oh, my goodness. Coffee order or something like that. I also looked younger than I was. I looked like really 10 years younger than I was. So this little... You've always had good skin, Emma Pebbles. (laughs) This little blonde dolly would walk into the room. Yeah. And they would just assume that I was nothing. Um, And I I actually found this. And this is where the self-worth comes in, right? So for a lot of people, that would be crushing. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. So I would, I would sit down and I wouldn't say anything for a moment or two. And really, I would pay attention to their body language and things. I would learn a lot about who I was dealing with from those yeah. first few moments. And then I would open the meeting. And they would very quickly realize that I was the boss. And the whole demeanor would change to one of respect it was it was fascinating to watch and then they would start to make demands thinking that they would be able to just dictate and uh and I would say I absolutely hear what you're saying and this is these are the reasons why we can't do that (laughs) and they would start to realize oh gosh we're dealing with somebody who's not going to be who's not going to be walked all over. And it was, it was wonderful watching the power dynamic change in the room and the energy in the room. As a feminist, I just found it completely delicious. I, I, really, I really enjoyed that part of my job. Brilliant. All the way through, I've got to say. So, yeah, I mean, that was, in terms of my wild journey, I think what that helped me to understand was that I do have power as a woman. And that it, that it is possible, even within very patriarchal constraints, to use my personal energy to change things. And it also helped me to, you know, know my enemy, so to speak, to understand the corporate structure. When I work with, with people now who want to leave the corporate world, I, I have a very clear view of what they're dealing with. So that was that was helpful. I also during this time got married, married my first husband, um, who I was madly in love with, madly, madly, madly in love with. And I did the classic thing of, oh, 
I'll be whatever you want me to be, just so long as you love me. Oh, yeah, I'll live however you want to live, just so long as you love me. So I, I basically relinquished all of my power yeah. to somebody else mm. for love, for what I thought was love. Mm. You know, it was conditional love, really. Mm. Yeah. And that's not his fault. That's my fault. I did that. <laughs> so... I was in a very, what what was a very stifling marriage, a very stifling relationship for 11 years. It was deeply patriarchal in that we lived how he wanted to live. And my, my wants and needs were really not part of the equation. And that was my fault. That was my fault. These things are co-created, of course. But we learn them as little girls. Yeah, I did that. I just did. Through schooling that we have to relinquish. Other people know better for us than our own instincts and opinions. Yeah, yeah. And the man, you know, the man has the power and he he earned a lot more than I did as well. So I felt that I didn't have as much say in financial decisions and, you know, again, I really did that to myself. I didn't really test the waters that much. So, yeah, I found myself in my early 30s in a in a very stressful job. I was at Disney by then and deeply unhappy in my marriage. I felt I felt I I really started to wake up and realize that I was not living my life. And I remember feeling, where's my sister gone? There was definitely this feeling of, yeah, you know, where, where are you? You know, yeah. where, where are you? We would have conversations and I would feel like sometimes I wasn't actually talking to you. It would be somebody else almost because yeah. you had been so diminished by, yeah. by everything that you were, you'd lost yourself. A, you yeah. Know, large was- part of who you were was gone. Yeah, well, I was lost, temporarily. I was diminished is a great word. I I'd allowed myself. I had dim- diminished myself. Yes. Anyway, I'm going to have to move on because I know I know we don't have that much time. So yeah, so I left that marriage. It was like, to this day the hardest thing I've ever done. Very 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 hard thing to do. And within a couple of years, I was living in California. I fell in love with California. I, by sheer force of will, managed to get Disney to move me to LA. That's a story for another day. We don't really have time for it right now. But I I really willed that into being. I moved to LA um, when I was 37, nearly 38. I was single. I moved from publishing into the toy business, so a totally different business I needed to learn. and. Loved it from the moment I got here. Love it because it's so open-minded. To me, California, the Wild West, feels like a land of possibility. It's always been a land of possibility. It's a very diverse place. LA is full of different perspectives, diversity. It feels where I live very inclusive, a very inclusive environment. And I felt like I've been home since I got here. So I'm going to skip quickly through through these last years if I can, 
got here, still working for Disney, met my second husband. After I split up with my first husband, I vowed that I would never not be myself again. I would yeah, never. You found yourself again. I remember you went yeah. to see Kirst, Kristen in Canada and you came yeah. back and you were, yeah. you were Emma again. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. seeing her, seeing our mutual friends who've known me since I was a teenager. Yeah. It's like I got my back. Yeah, you I did. Got- it was amazing. I was relieved. Yeah, and I fell in, kind of fell in love with myself again. It was, it was, it was a total rediscovering, reconnecting. And I said, I'm never going to be inauthentic again. And I really do think I've pretty much kept that vow to myself. Got married again, had Jazzy. So I had a child at 41. I was really ready to be a mother by then, having had many adventures, (laughs) gone to many places, fallen in love. And yeah, and Jasmine's the love of my life. She really is. Trying to raise her to be a wild woman. And yeah, so, so, but when I had Jasmine in the States, you go back to work really quickly and I, it just crushed me. I, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be with my child. I was miserable. It was four months, wasn't it? I mean, it's I got to be off for yeah. four months, yeah. which in I the mean, States is actually quite a long time. It's terrible, terrible. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, after that, I just wanted to be with her. I still went, I left Disney. I went to DreamWorks. I did a couple of years at DreamWorks, which was, amazing and terrible (laughs) after that I took some time off I took a couple of years off and consulted built my own business the Queen's English which was really um but did a coaching course at that time as well and fell in love with the different pace of working the balance of not being in a nine-to-five job anymore the balance of consulting And when I started coaching, completely fell in love with coaching. This was 2015-2016. Fell in love with coaching, thought, oh, my God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But at the time, I was the main breadwinner. I couldn't afford to do it full time. We were running out of money. And I was offered a full-time job at Warner Brothers. So I did the fiscally responsible thing and I took it. It just reconfirmed that I hated it. I didn't want to be in the corporate world anymore. Did it for a couple of years, built up my finances again. Um, My marriage split up during that time, which was terrible and awful, but it also allowed me, gave me the freedom to then make my own decisions about what I was going to do going forward, discovered a massive tumor, the size of a baked potato, had a huge surgery, had to convalesce for months. That was in 2018. And during that convalescence, I just thought life is too short to not do what you want to do. So that was when I made the decision that I had to coach full time. So all of these things really helped me with my deconditioning process 
And in February 2019, I started coaching full time. I, I left the corporate world and I, I just went full on into coaching and I've been doing it full time ever since as a solo parent, um, solo entrepreneur. And I, I love it. I, I, it feels like purpose. I love watching people change and grow. And I continue to do my own deconditioning work as I do this work. So being an entrepreneur and also being a solo parent allows me to live much more outside of the system than I've ever been. So in terms of becoming wilder, it. I've, I'm free from a lot of traditional structures. Now, I even sold my house. So, and I rent again now. So I'm not even in that mortgage structure, that traditional financial structure that a lot of people are in. And if I, if I may say, uh, as your sister, I can see you're the happiest you've ever been. Yes. And, and and that is amazing. You know, I, I think you're an incredibly strong woman. I've always looked up to you and being your, your only very slightly younger sis. <laughs> and, and, I, and I do think that some of the things that, that, you know, we go through as women can crush us, but it yeah. hasn't crushed you. It's actually made you stronger, but you're yeah. an incredibly strong person. You're not afraid to show your vulnerability but you you have this inner core, this inner strength, which is incredible. Yeah. And I feel that the best thing that you know that that you can do is is help other women to be able to be their authentic selves because you've travelled the the road, you've yeah. had the, the 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 ups and the downs, and you've come out, and you're not only stronger but you're happier. You're designing your own life, and yes. that I think is incredibly important. You're designing your own life. You are no longer, you're not passive. You are proactive and you are designing your own life. And you are the happiest I've ever seen you. And have been for since you, you know, since, since 2019. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Thank you, my darling. Yeah, it's completely true. I am the happiest I've ever been. And I think to go on to your next question or. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I just want to say something about strength, which is, and we use this word strength. I, I don't feel strong. I feel that I love myself and I appreciate myself and everybody else. And I think that gives me the fortitude to, and I believe that, that I'm here to learn from everything that happens, right? So whatever happens, if I learn something, then it's been, a, it's okay that that thing happened. Yeah. So I think we use this word strength and I think it can feel kind of unattainable if yes. you just see yourself as a strong person. Yeah. And again, I would redefine it. I think it's about having your own back and understanding that this life is a learning process. And as long as you're learning and putting one foot in front of the other, you know, to some degree, you're going to be okay. Again, depending on your definition of okay. But yes, please, let's get, let's keep moving. Let's get to the next question. Okay. 
So as you know, this month is all about the wild self, that version of you that is wholly unfettered and really authentically true. Who are you now? What is your wild self? I know I wrote this question, but I purposely didn't think about it in advance because I wanted it to be um... spontaneous. Spontaneous. How do I how do I describe myself now? I yeah, my wild self. I'm somebody who who has a strong core, as you say, and that is about having grace and compassion. Grace and compassion for myself. Grace and compassion for everyone else, even the really hard people. <laughs> even the ones that you you kind of want to go, well, that person's a complete asshole. I still can see how somebody becomes the way they are. And I have compassion for the fact that they haven't had the resources that I've had. Um, I deeply appreciate the life that I have. And I deeply appreciate the world that we have been given and the the wonders of this world while at the same time feeling heartbroken about all the terrible things that are happening and the way that we have commoditized the planet and feeling very concerned about the way things are going. And I'm somebody who believes that what I do matters. I say every time at the end of every episode, what you do matters. You matter what you do matters. And a woman who believes that changes the world. I believe that I matter. And I believe that every single one of us matters as well. And that if we, if we actually acted from that place, the world would be really different. Um, so, and, and, and I define myself as somebody who's still working on all of this stuff. I'm still uncovering conditioning. I do my best to to really model that rebellious nature. I'm still a quiet rebel. I'm still a stealth rebel. Yes. I call what I do sort of stealth activism, gentle activism. That's just my way. But I think it, it allows it to get to places where it might not otherwise get I sort of charm, charm the activism into people who might not necessarily otherwise entertain a, a rebellious idea. Didn't you once, when you were a teenager, dye your hair purple and spike it? I remember going, whoa, my sister is a rebel. And it was about a week and, 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 and I remember, yeah, I'm sure it was, it was purple, it was spiky. Uh, and it was for a week, and then you, and then <laughs> it was the wash out kind. Uh huh. Oh my god, I don't remember. You that. washed it out. But I obviously that, didn't feel stronger about yeah. it because I don't remember. Yeah, that was that was that was probably the peak. Yeah, the rebellious. You know. Yeah. I mean, I had a short gothic phase. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was kind of rebellious with my music. I used to like Bauhaus. Oh and yeah. The- Twins and yeah. I was into the sort of alternative music. Yeah. Um, black lipstick for a while. Yeah. So yeah, but again, it was quiet rebellion. It was yeah. quiet rebellion. I know you've got one question left for me, so I know I've got to get let you get there. Okay. 
Emma, last question. Where in your life would you like to get wilder? Every time I ask somebody else this question, it's really funny. This this voice pop tip pops into my head and it goes in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Just my English naughty. Yeah. Naughty sort of double entendre brain coming in. Fabulous. I guess there's a little bit of truth in it. I, I think one place where it never hurts to be wilder is in bed. So yeah, I, I like to get wilder in bed. Fab. Where else would I like to be wilder? I'm challenging it all the time for myself. I think now I'm a woman in midlife. So going through the menopause, aging, my hair's graying, um, my skin is losing some elasticity. So I think probably in relationship to that as well, really learning to love every stage that I'm in, really appreciating myself in my 50s without trying to look younger or be younger. I My approach now is I want to enhance how I look now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm letting my hair go. It's really gray. It's like almost white. Um, and I'm highlighting it. I'm giving it golden highlights, but it's basically white. And leaning into my age and leaning into this stage of life. So I want to keep doing that. I want to re- redefine each age for myself and what it means, not by trying to be younger, but trying to lean into that. I'm leaning into my crone energy now, my wise woman energy, and I look forward to getting further and further into that. So wilder there, I would say. I want to be a wild crone, not just a wild woman, a wild crone. Well, I because we're we're only two and a half years apart in age, and I mean, I definitely feel more powerful now than I've ever felt. And, yeah. and there is this thing of, oh, you know, I'm so so fed up with these adverts of youthful looking skin. And you, every, you know, everyone is trying to get money off you to yes, us, us women to try and be something that we're not. Because if we were just happy with what we are, we wouldn't have to give any of our money away. We would just inhabit ourselves, our beautiful selves. And yeah. I definitely feel more empowered now than I've ever felt even though again I am kind of starting to go through menopause now yeah and by the way thanks for that extra podcast you told me about and those herbs have been amazing no longer getting the sweats thanks Em just an aside I'll put some menopause um resources in the show notes for everybody listening that would be great so, you know, and, and it's that thing of, I don't feel like I need to look younger. I just, I just want to wear the cl- different kinds of clothes now. I want to yeah. wear kind of sassy, sexy clothes because I feel, I think as you get older, you start to kind of think, well, what do I want? What, what do I want sexually? What do I want, you know, to wear? What do I want to eat? What do I want to be like? Do I want to be skinny? No, sod that. I don't want to be skinny. I want to love me. And suddenly, you know, it, it's very much maybe that is what you know this being kind of older means that we are now rebellious because because we're just fed up with with having to follow somebody else's way of being and we're like no I'm not going to do that anymore so so you know isn't it wonderful to be wild and rebellious yes it it is. is what's that poem when I grow old 
I will wear purple. Do you remember that poem? I, I can, I can, I do remember. And just give me about 10 <laughs> seconds and I can find it if you would like me to. Oh God, yeah. We'll put the uh, reference in the show notes. We're both in, we're both on a time constraint. I have to go and curl Jasmine's hair for the school play. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Talk about in, in incorporating motherhood and and working, right? Somebody, I remember somebody saying it's not work-life balance, it's work-life integration. And that's definitely, I think, the way forward. Anyway, my darling, oh, it's been so lovely. I wish we had another hour. I feel like we could keep going for a really long time. No, very easily. We could put the world to rights, couldn't we? Yes, yeah. Um, I'm just going to say these few sentences that you can cut out if you want to. Okay. When I'm old, I shall wear purple with a red hat, which doesn't go and doesn't suit me. And I shall spend my pension on brandy and summer gloves and satin sandals and say, we've no money for butter. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I love it. That's so going in the podcast. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes, I think of that line so often and I'd forgotten the rest of it. Yeah, who was it by? Jenny Joseph. Jenny Joseph, very cool. Okay, darling, I better go and do Jasmine's hair and you better get back to the the little Twinkies. Okay. Um, we call them the Twinkies because they're twins. They're the twins. For American audiences, yeah. they do not look like Twinkies. No, they're <laughs> Although they do to me because I can nibble them so much because they're so gorgeous. I've got boy-girl yeah. twinkles, six and a half, and oh, they are so amazing. Delicious. And they're yes. More delicious than twinkles. They're everything. And they're both very wild. We have wild children. <laughs> we do. We do. All right. Love you, my darling. I love you lots, Emma. Love you, Bye. Pebbles. Love you. Bye. Bye. That's it for the show. Becoming Wild is a podcast written and produced by me, Emma Whittard. Special thanks go to Andrea Lida Wilborn, Sean Dennis, Jill Smolin, and Dean and De Silva. You can get more information about the show and other ways to experience my work at www.emmawittard.com. Please subscribe to Becoming Wild on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of lovely stars. It will make a huge difference to the discoverability of the show. If you'd like more direct coaching from me, please consider joining my Wild Woman community, where I post new content every few days and coach in the comments. And we have live coaching sessions every Friday. Or contact me to explore one-to-one -one coaching. If you have a question about what we covered today, or anything else you'd like some support over, you can email me at info at subject line wild questions. And I might just respond on the show. You'll be anonymous, of course. All of this information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You matter. What you do matters. And when a woman truly knows that, she changes the world. See you next time on Becoming Wild.